Okay, welcome back to the Downtown Den. And today I'm delighted to be joined by some esteemed uh, personalities who are involved in the nighttime economy right across the country. Uh, and of course, it's uh, a part of the UK's economy that is facing significant challenges at the moment. I'm going to ask each of them to introduce themselves. I'm going to start in the capital city that is London with John. John, just uh, give us a bit about yourself, your background, and why you're here with us today. Thanks, thanks a lot. Um, well, basically, my name is John James. Um, I'm the managing director of Soho Estates. Soho Estates is a, a property company, and we own property in the centre of the centre of London, as the title suggests. Um, and we, we are... Uh, in the sort of the centre of the hospitality industry in the centre of London, 46% of our tenants are in the hospitality business. And we've seen the suffering that they have had to endure through this lockdown period and a, an attempt to, um, to, to re-kick our economy in the Soho Alfresco dining, which we managed to be successful and that happened throughout the summer. Um, We've, we've, seen, we've seen in the centre of this city, as in the centre of every other city, we've seen the most extraordinary thing. And, and, and in, in, in my view of our companies, our, the small independent in, 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 um, restaurateur, the innovator, the creative, they were our strengths. We had lots of those. We were never fond of chains. We had lots of these kind of operators and they were our strengths. They have now obviously become our weakness because these are the very people whose livelihoods are threatened. They're very difficult to replace should they, um, should they not succeed. And the whole thing is now becoming even more, more serious with even the work we've done in summer to the, to, to the situation we find ourselves in today, which is, which is against an even more serious backdrop. And the, the one thing I'll just say about the city, I think this goes for any city. In the recessions that we sometimes understood and some of us may have, however, what age we might be, have experienced. The recession had an opportunity for growth and regrowth and, 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 and uh, a recovery. And, and you used to think about the middle of a city as the sort of the middle of the pond, where when you threw the stone in, that's the first ripple. That ripple went out and that, that success and that regrowth, the regeneration, went out to the edges of the country or wherever. Take that as a view. What you are seeing here in the centre of this city is that middle bit is the dark, deep bit that no one wants to go to. And we are seeing recovery on the edges, in the, in the shires, in the, in, the, in the market towns, even in the boroughs around London, where there's a good residential mix. We're seeing some activity of footfall, but in the city, we are suffering zero footfall, zero tourists, people frightened, People have been told messages by government that really some of us, to a lot of us, do not make sense. And we're seeing the ruination of an entire generation of, of uh, hospitality uh, operators. Okay. Thanks, John. Thank you. Uh, now we'll go to Birmingham and Naomi. Thanks for joining us today, Naomi. Just give us a bit about your background and, and how life is in Birmingham at the moment. It's a pleasure. Hi everyone, I'm Naomi. I am the marketing manager for an independent restaurant group, Aluna and Siamese. So family run, um, small spaces that we work with ultimately. Um, I mean, my main role throughout this entire pandemic is to relay the messages as much as we're able to kind of decipher the guidelines that have been put forward to hospitality. Um, out to our consumers we're pretty much the point of call for our guests on what is and isn't allowed for them so to make sure that we're you know making people feel comfortable and safe and visiting us which will you know keep us alive and, and going um, we have to make sure we have the best and correct information for them um, so i mean kind of following on slightly from John's point, it is quite hard to do that currently. Um, the guidelines are constantly changing. You have um, people are able to kind of take from the guidelines what they will in certain spaces. Um, we've had, for example, um, companies close in Birmingham. We've had a really, you know, fantastic business um, close recently because 
they were considered an outdoor space when they were using a marquee. And it's just that, um, that misunderstanding between guidelines and you know that clarity that can really be damaging for our business. So yeah, my role is to make sure I'm relaying the correct information to our customers. And that is quite hard at the moment. Yeah, certainly not an easy task. And uh, it's one the government is struggling to do. So good luck with it. Uh, Rich, Rich McGuinness. And, uh, Hi Frank, how are you doing? Yeah, the Liverpool perspective on all of this, mate. Um, so we're involved in, um, we've got various pubs and venues uh, in Manchester and Liverpool. And I'm, I'm business partners with Sasha on uh, Warehouse Project and Park Life in, in Manchester over there as well. We also operate um, a lot of festivals on behalf of Live Nation um, across the country. Um, from, from a Liverpool perspective, which is kind of where I've been based over the last 20 years, um, you know, we're we're on the we're on the cutting, we're on the cold face really there in terms of dealing with the real aspects and the issues of of what's been thrown up. Um, and I think right now we're on a precipice of seeing a lot a lot of um, you know, as John and Naomi said, a lot of uh, the independence just just evaporating really because um the, the way those businesses are run and are set up, um, they have a lot of them have just fallen through the cracks because the support just hasn't hasn't really reached them. Um, you know, there's there's small businesses which are you know. The actual main operators and the driving forces are directors which are living off dividend or there's no, there's no support for them um the changes the constant changes to the job support schemes have been complicated and not necessarily beneficial in some respects um you know it's it's just a mess really um but we're you know we're we're trying to stay open and trade and pivot through the various issues that are getting thrown at us okay thanks rich um Last but certainly not least, Sasha, um, your role obviously a broad one in terms of being the advisor for the nighttime economy in Greater Manchester, but also, uh, as Rich has inferred, uh, your own personal business interest in this space as well. Yeah, so no, I am an operator, as Rich just said, co-founder of Warehouse Projects, Part of Life, but also the nighttime economy advisor, uh, advising directly into to Andy Burnham, who you may have seen. Uh, a couple of times on the news this week. Um, and, and do you know what? Actually, I have to say, there's some really valid points that have just been made. But for me, as, as a Manc, um, you know, last week was quite a proud moment. We saw the mayor stand up there with our 10 leaders, not be bullied. Um, we saw Marcus Rashford call out the government. Um, so it feels like, you know, maybe I'm in a bubble, but it feels like all eyes are on Manchester and there's some special things happening. You know, John, I completely and utterly agree and sympathise with you because London city centre is bigger than Manchester city centre. And for me, it's extremely apparent that the larger the city centre is, the harder it's going to be to recover. You know, for, for me, Manchester city centre is quiet at the moment, but I was in London six weeks ago and I was shocked to see it. And, and yes, you know, Greater Manchester is made up of 10 boroughs. Some of those other boroughs, where people are deciding to stay local and they're avoiding public transport, they're actually thriving. And in, in August, some small independent bars and restaurants that were using the uh, Eat Out scheme actually re recorded record sales. Uh, so for some of those locally, we are actually seeing positive results. Um, I think, you know, we've discussed businesses are on the knees. We've got to talk about the whole ecology around the businesses. Um, you know, when nighttime economy shuts down, it has a knock-on effect with hotels, taxis, the grocer that delivers the vegetables, the, the, the butcher, the guy that delivers the drinks for local drinks companies. You know, this this whole ecology that's actually just forgotten about. And, you know, the, the government did say, well, we'll give some support last week. That was frankly nothing. But there's, there's nothing those people have falling between the gaps. And I, for me, whoever's advising the government on these, these decisions, when it comes to nighttime economy, they, they are not coming from an operator. And I'll give you two absolute prime examples of this. You know, the whole industry was shut for 20 plus weeks when we had the, the, the lockdown. And then the industry were told with, with very little warning that you have to put X, Y, and Z measures in place so the industry came together, they spent hundreds of millions of pounds implementing ways they could operate at 50%, 
one-way systems, QR codes, track and trace, putting on extra staff to take people's details at the door, extra staff so that you could, uh, in a pub, do table service. You order by QR code, you get your table service, you pay by credit card, not cash. And it's such a safe environment to do it. Clearly, there are going to be teething problems. But guess what? They turned around the government and said, let's reopen on a Saturday night, the busiest night of the week. I mean, how ridiculously stupid is that? And, and the other thing is, you know, Rich will tell you, when we put Park Life on, one of the hardest things we have to do to get the license is a meeting that Rich never goes to, actually. It's called the Safety Advisor Group Meeting. And they sit there and they throw loads of questions at you. And you only get your license if you can satisfy them. And one of the main things is, how do you get 80,000 people out of Park Life at exactly the same time? And the answer is you can't because you would overload transport, you would overload the Metrolink, overload taxis, buses, everything. So we do stagger it by closing certain stages off at different times. And that way you get a slower staggered egress. So whoever told the government to throw hundreds of thousands of people out at 10 o'clock, it's exactly the same time. They don't know what they're talking about. They really don't because we all predicted what was going to happen. And we saw the supermarkets full. I saw the images, the videos of people dancing in the street on Oxford Street in London and things like that. It was always going to happen. So, yeah, they've got so many things wrong. They really have. Um, but no, that's about me. I'm ranting. <laughs> and, and Sasha, the only thing I'll say about that is on TV last week is he was on more than you, which is going some at the moment. So, that's yeah. well to Andy. And, and John, let me just pick up on that point, though, because I think it, it's hits the nub of the issue in a sense for, for many of us who are frustrated at the approach that's been adopted uh, by the government. And it's that illogicality, if that's a word, um, that approach that is so uh, confusing. Uh, and this idea now that, you know, London's moved into tier two, Manchester, Liverpool uh, in tier three, Birmingham tier two as well. If we're saying to people, well, you can only meet people in, in your own household. You can only meet in these bubbles of six, so on and so forth. All these restrictions that are in place. Does the 10 p.m. curfew make any sense to you as somebody who's operated in the industry for, for, for many years? Well, no, no, it doesn't make... I mean, I, 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 I agree with my fellow panellists, Sasha. Everybody listening to this on this webinar will know the 10 o'clock is a complete made-up myth. It doesn't have any logical process to shooting at 10. It, it does exactly what we've all discussed. You put more people... It, if, you took a, if you look at the infection rates as the pie chart, there's the 3% of it is, is according to um, hospitality. 3%. And it is, these are safe environments. The, the people who run these environments are considered fit and proper, i.e. they've got a licence, that each one of their businesses is inspected by numerous people who, who have a great authority over them. You've got all the, all the various people who can walk into a licensed premises and make an inspection and do enforcements and things like that. We, that's, the people who run these businesses understand that. That's why they're there to do it. And they're professional at it. So they make their businesses, their premises fit for purpose and they make it safe. And then we have some some... Uh, I, you know, I mean, it, it, it's mind-boggling as to whom has given this particular level of advice. Uh, the government seems to be using hospitality as a media-driven bat and ball to say, here's a quick fix, we'll do this. And you, I, I, I can't see how, the, uh, because in, in what, and I look, as I look up my office, I'm sitting on Old Compton Street, and Old Compton Street and, and the four five streets around it were the ones we had to, we managed to be... Um, to be, to be pedestrianised, temporary pedestrianised for this area. Um, and so they got quite full. But if you went outside these four or five streets throughout this lockdown and, and afterwards in the allowed opening period, it was still quiet in the rest of London. So you did have a concentration of people and you are putting them out at the same time into the same confined space and onto the same public transport system and or ever. And the one thing I, I, I can never understand um, when, when you looked around at what's happening in Soho, it's, it's, it has become quite busy with this thing we've managed to do, um, where other, other, other areas have not had quite had the same success. Uh, and, but, and, but slowly we were getting there, uh, and, and September was looking quite good. Footfall was increasing. You could see people getting a little more happier. 
Um, and then all of a sudden, the second round of, of, of lockdown, clampdown, call it what you like, whatever um, message is being given, 10 o'clock serves no purpose whatsoever that anybody can understand. And we think that's just a political. The political solutions to many problems are completely devoid from pragmatic or practical re, uh, results. They, they just don't kind of get it in, in, in our industry. They don't, and there's many other people who feel the same in their, own, in their own industries. But I can't see the point of it. I can't see why it, it can't be relaxed. And, and people might say, well, what difference does an hour make if you're selling alcohol? Well, truly, it's a big difference to a lot of bars and a lot of restaurants. That hour is the, is the hour in which you will probably take the most money in proportion to beginning and end. Um, and so it, it is really important. And then people do start to leave, um, not en masse. And in Soho here particularly, we've all accepted the 11 o'clock with, 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 with um, uh, uh, well, we've all accepted it. Whereas a lot of people here, they've got licenses that run till three and four and five. You know, they, 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 they're, they're already restricting their own business practice, which we know is a good idea to do. So ramble, ramble, which we're all going to do because we're all so passionate about this that you feel as if, I, I, I don't, you know, there's a lot of words I'd like to say about our politician friends. So, but my God, it isn't sense. And can I just pick up on something John said? Naomi, because obviously your role is very much customer facing. Yeah. You're trying to get those messages out there, and as you say, they can be quite confusing at times. Uh, and, you know, I think one of the sad things uh, of all of this at times has been that staff within hospitality venues have had to bear the brunt of that confused messaging, you know, so customers get irate when they're told, well, actually, you can't book that table uh, with a family from outside of your particular bubble because it's against the guidelines and, and then you, you become the bad guys. Um, but equally, I just wondered whether you had a take on what all this is doing to customer confidence, uh, because I think there's, there's two issues here. I think one is about lockdown and obviously the restrictions, uh, but I think the other is the fact that people are, uh, in some instances, uh, genuinely concerned about going out uh, and that of course is is equally uh, forgive the pun but that's a killer but it's a killer for your industry yeah I mean like I you know like I was saying during the introduction it's very important that we make sure we get the message right the first time and we are really being used as the point of call for all of our customers to deliver that right message um, with regards to staff bearing the brunt that is the case um, well, like Sasha said, um, who they actually spoke to to get advice on how the hospitality industry works. But I mean, you know, it's very hard for our staff to be able to check who is part of the same household. It's, I mean, unless anyone has got some great ideas, please let me know. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's unenforceable and, and the customers know it's unenforceable. So they'll just say, we're all in the same household. What are you meant to do? Where does it start? Where does it end? You know, yeah. you know, how do you prove it? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, and I think, so people are going to try it. We're told in the guidelines that if we don't think that they're part of the same household, then, you know, we have to use our, our processes. Like we've had processes for this before. No, of course not. Um, and yeah, I think customers, are confused as well with regards to I mean we've had recently with the whole business meeting situation you know business meetings are allowed to be mixed households but some places are saying no some places are saying yes and it all just filters down from that mixed messaging and it does then make people consumers feel a bit uneasy about if the venues aren't able to get it completely black and white in terms of what it is you know is it just safer for them to stay at home and, and not even risk in any sense and then you've got all these guidelines that are really vague and like I say we have to really decipher what they actually mean in, in many senses in many of the guidelines but then you have incredibly strict you know damaging fines especially for smaller companies I mean it's damaging for everybody but you know for these kind of smaller independents 
those fines are strict and they're clear, the fines are, but the guidelines that the fines are attached to are not. And that is where the breakdown happens. And that is what is, to be honest, going to be one of the most scariest things, I think, for the hospitality industry. Just come to Liverpool, not because Liverpool's the only city where these incidents have happened, but I think it was probably the highest profile uh, when the tier three uh, measures were introduced. And it was uh, in Concert Square, which Rich, you'll be well aware of as a... Yeah, yeah. No, I mean... ...congregate. And then there was this outpouring uh, of criticism of, of young people who sort of came into the streets, all started singing and dancing, no social distancing, of course. <coughs> this message, you know, again, of our, how stupid are these kids and they're putting everybody's lives in danger. And, and, and maybe, uh, certainly as far as the Twitter platform is concerned, I was a bit daft in expressing a bit of sympathy for the young people. Uh, not because I agree with the actions that they took necessarily, but I can't understand how we as a society, as our government and our big educational institutions can tell kids from all over the country, yeah, go to a strange city. Yeah, pay £9,000 for your university course. Yeah, pay rent. But by the way, we're going to lock you up for the next six months. And you expect 18, 19, 20-year-olds to accept that. And, and for me, the criticism for those sorts of incidents shouldn't be against the kids. It should actually be against the people who've enabled that situation to arise. And, you know, I, I just want to get a sense of whether I'm on my own here or out by it. But I really did feel... You know, yeah, okay, we can all condemn that, but how have we got here? Uh, and for me, Rich, you know, Liverpool's a big university town. It's not going to be easy to manage that situation leading up to Christmas. No, I mean, it's ridiculous. And, and, and I think one point for sure is definitely, you know, you put a bunch of Scouts kids on Sky News um, having a good time, it's going to get a disproportional um, reaction nationally. Um, you know, that's just, that's just going to happen. And there's been other examples across the country which have garnered less attention. But, you know, I think it, it goes back to what you've been saying. You know, these licenses, and I keep saying this to people, these licensing laws have existed and have been developed carefully in Liverpool and, and across the country for very good reasons. There's reasons why they work. There's, you, know, the, you know, the curfew doesn't work for all the reasons that we've been discussed. Um, you know, curbing, holding these people in, it's just ridiculous. You know, humans will, will naturally, are going to, are going to, veer against this i mean it just the whole thing's ridiculous you know and it's going to it's going to get to a breaking point sooner or later um and i guess that's why you're seeing the increase in illegal raves and all of the problems that come with that i mean i think i think that's about there was a big one in london at the weekend got a lot of press um and when i guess when when whoever's organizing these parties sees something of the scale of what happened in london last last weekend that's going to be happening all over the country. And that, that really is unmanageable. You know, um, when, when Sasha and I are putting together events, the level of detail that goes into keeping people safe, you know, we've got many hospitals backstage. We've got, you know, the, the drugs dogs. We've got a million layers of protection um, on, on, on putting a large-scale event together. None of this is happening, do you mean, on, on any of these shows. And, you know, that, 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 that one happened in Manchester. Was it Oldham, Sasha, or the, the first two big high-profile ones? There was like a rape, a drug's death, and four stabbings. I mean, that's insane. I mean, like, what what do they think is going to happen? Actually, those ones, those ones in Manchester, they were organised by um, undesirables. Actually, they knew exactly what they were, they were doing. Um, but can I just pick up on a couple of points, Frank? Yes. Um, you know, I, I spoke to many operators on yesterday morning, actually, because weekend just gone was the first weekend we were in tier three. And uh, they were looking at, Bear in mind, they're already operating at 50% on average, and they saw a downturn of another 40%. The bigger problem we've got that's coming down the line, for me, and you know, Naomi spoke about staff having to deal with you know, customers and things like that. <coughs> staff and operators are at tipping point now of their mental health. We've got huge mental health coming down the line. And, and apologies, Naomi, it's only by coincidence that you're from Birmingham, but a promoter took his own life two Sundays ago in Birmingham. And, you know, I think this is the, I think we're going to see a raft of this 
in Q4, Q1. I'm absolutely... It's going to be a, I agree, such a complete tidal wave of this coming down the pipe. It I, is. I know people now, Frank, who are telling me, even if the Chancellor turned around and gave him a cheque for 100 grand to a small pub, they'd say, you know what, I'm still handing my keys back because since the middle of March, my mental health has been on such a roller coaster. I can't take this anymore. Cannot take it. And people are walking away. And that, you know, some of those small backstreet pub owners have had financial help. What about the 130,000 freelancers that have had nothing at all since March? You know, their, their work was stopped immediately. Um, and there are, there are, we've all said it, there are so many forgotten people here that actually other countries like France, Spain, Germany have turned around and supported them. Uh, a lot of our, our people in our industry have just been thrown under the bus. And just let's stick with, with this issue because I think it's a massive one. I think you're absolutely right in terms of the mental health issues that we're facing now and further on down the line, not just for people involved in the hospitality industry. I think this is going to go far and wide, unfortunately. But what are the sort of things that positively the government should be doing now? If we look at furlough, obviously, which was something that was introduced, but as you rightly say, Sasha, people fell through the cracks. I'm going to go to John in a moment, but again, you will be like me talking to operators on a daily basis. And again, I have to say, staffing costs often are a very small part of a company's overheads. It's rents, it's rates, it's those things that really is what we're going to send many businesses under. It's not your staff, your team. It's those sort of costs. The government don't appear, unless I've missed it, to address that at all. Now, I'll speak to John in a moment from his perspective on that. But Sasha, any conversations taking place over those sort of issues, the overhead issue? Do, do you know what I had? Um, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna mention his name because actually he was quite a nice guy and we are continuing conversations. But I had um, a conversation, a meeting, four weeks ago with quite a high profile minister and we were talking about nightclubs and a roadmap on how to open a nightclub. And he was very proud to tell me that last year he went to a nightclub. So I asked him which nightclub he went to. Bearing in mind the events that Rich and I put on at the warehouse project, you know, 10,000 capacity, sweaty, shoulder to shoulder. It's, it's, essentially, it's a big rave. He was very proud to tell me he went to Annabelle's in Mayfair. And when I, you know, these people are so out of touch with nighttime economy. They think that is a nightclub where you sit down, have table service, and some silly sparkler comes through in the middle of the room in, in your bottle of Grey Goose. You know, they don't understand. I've seen, I've seen Frank out in Liverpool, though, as well, so I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like my type of night, to be fair. I did do the raves, but it was back in my house a long, long time ago. Um, you know, we, we are now... We feel like the back has been turned on Greater Manchester. So we're trying to do things to support each other. Um, last week, we came up with an idea. You know, we call it the Backstreet Boozer, the community pub. There's a judicial review which is getting served on Monday that I've been working with my legal team. And we are reviewing this fact, this, this tier three closing pubs down that do not serve food because we don't think it's right. And actually, the council... <laughs> The judicial review, it is an attack on our class culture. And what that means is, to me, and, and pro probably Naomi, Rich, John, yourself, Frank, actually, when you're in tier three, it does not make a massive difference to your life because you can afford to go to a restaurant and have drinks with your household or your social bubble, and you can see other humans moving around. But actually, where these backstreet pubs are in Greater Manchester is predominantly in the most poorest, deprived areas. They're wet-led pubs, they're the community pubs. If you think about the, the working men's clubs, that sort of thing, they're now shut, they're finished. So it's not right. Why can I still see activity or go for a drink and a meal, but the most deprived can't? So that is the action that we're bringing against it. And so, just so you know, on the call on Saturday morning, which annoyingly the QC is called at 8 a.m. It's not great calling a night advisor at 8 a.m., I'll tell you. But the meeting we had, they looked into law, and 60 years ago in the High Court, it was challenged the definition of lunch. And the definition of lunch, it was worked out. And this, this you know, anybody watching this, if you can't serve food, this is a way of getting around it. Don't blame me, please. 
A sandwich is not a substantial meal. However, if you put a pickle with it, that's a substantial meal. Now that is law, that is how stupid the whole thing is. So what, what we're doing in Greater Manchester now is we realize that loads of these backstreet wet lead pubs, they don't have a kitchen, they don't, can't take on the overhead. So we realized we had loads of traders from Park Life, our festival in, in Manchester is like a hundred traders. So we're joining the dots up so the traders can now work and supply the food to the pubs. Traders have got no business, the, the pubs are shut. So that's, that's what's happening. And it's really, it's, you know, it's, it's nice to see. Yeah, I think, Sash, um, we should probably bring up that issue with Common Bar in Manchester last week with the argument over whether the slice of pizza was substantial or not. I mean, it's just a minefield of, of I mean, and the police looked ridiculous for getting involved in it and then backtracking. It was just, yeah. you the, know. The police, the police were measuring slices of pizza. I mean, this is 20, it's the UK 2020. You've got the police measuring slices of pizza to see if it's substantial. It's ridiculous. But I have to say, hats off, Greater Manchester Police turned around and said, you know what, we're not going to police this. We're not. If licensing go around, we'll support licensing, but we're not going to police it. And we have seen cities where police have rocked up in a van and run into restaurants to see if people are eating food with the drinks. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a dictatorship. It's stupid. And that's a dangerous place for the police to be, I think. You can only police by consent if you can do it effectively. It is, it is dangerous. John, I just want to pick up on this issue of, of property costs because, you know, you're in the city where that really does matter. You know, Manchester's more expensive than it used to be. Uh, Birmingham certainly is. Liverpool's catching up. So property costs. But again, I, I'm feeling in some quarters that it's the landlords that are sort of being painted as the the bad guys here uh, because they're saying, well, sorry, you're going to have to pay your rent. Uh, ultimately, I'm not aware, you may put me right, that the government have said, well, actually, landlords, you're okay. We'll sort you out. You don't have to bother paying your mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frank, I'll tell you exactly what it's like. This is like a game of pass the parcel. Right? And in this case, the people who are passing the parcel up to the landlord haven't even been able to take any wrappings off on the way. They're just going pass, pass, pass. So it ends up in the landlord's lap, right? And you are thinking, okay, well, um, I know I'm, I'm in the unloved category. You know, the landlord class is still historically the villainous person. But I'm also running a business, selling something, in this case, space. And who can I pass my parcel to? Uh, because I, uh, unlike others, um, I'm not, we're not terribly in debt. But if you take me as a landlord representative, and they say landlords normally have debt to, to maintain their businesses, and therefore they have obligations to pay that debt, and they have covenants to meet by banks. So nobody, and, the, and, this, and they have an insurance policy, which used to say all risks, but doesn't include this one. Right? Um, so the insurances are not taking any slice of this action. So the landlord... Uh, and, no, and like you rightly say, the government has not said to landlords, because if you say to me, right, John, what do you need? Well, I said, well, to be honest, the best thing you could say is don't let the bank do anything to me. So I, I, I'm giving rent freeze, I'm giving rent uh, holidays, I'm giving um, all kinds of assistance to the tenants I need to. Um, but if you say, John, what does a landlord need? My, my view would be, then you say to the government, just make sure they can't uh, uh, bring my covenant into, in, into, into question, because that would be a result of falling values and, low, and lower income. And that's, a, a re, uh, that's another word for recession. And so you say, if, you, if they can't touch me, I can suffer this, right? And I suffer this in equal proportion to my tenants. Now, if you think, uh, I, I, my position is I'm not, not too badly off in the sense of debt, but there are plenty of landlords out there now who are on the edge of creaking. Of creaking. They are creaking now because they've had four quarters. And, uh, and like I say, we all were looking hopeful in September. That's been squashed by the latest round of uh, restrictions. And, and it's uh, certainly in the city, just saying stay at home kills everybody who has a business. And the tourists in Leicester Square are non-existent. And all the various layers of people who visit London for culture, for theatre, for cinema, for clubs, for they're, they're, they're reluctant to come to this, situ to this city. So the, the, the landlord's pressure is now, and the landlord bankruptcies will be three months, six months hence. 
and that will be happening. It, 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 it is inevitability about this, right? Um, and it, you, 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 you will be um, very, it'll be, it, I don't know how to put it, There'll be, there'll be a lot of people right now who will not and cannot say this because they've got shareholders. They've, they've got, they've got, they're listed on the stock market. They're PLC companies. They've got insurance companies. Half, of the, half the high streets in England are owned by Aviva and Invesco and the people about pensions. When those people start hurting and the pensions of middle England are starts to be reduced, and the, suddenly the politicians will realise, because the only thing they listen to is politicians, is I might not be elected next time. That will start some, some, some rethinking. Now, the, 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 the effect of this un, you know, uh, extraordinary situation we're all in is that it is across the board. It, is, it, it affects everybody. Everybody is being affected by this. Unemployment, our youth is losing its opportunities. There's a generation of youth gone. Their education is gone. Their A-level results were, were knackered. Their university positions are in, 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 in question. And, the, it, and all the people who start a living, working in hospitality, largely a young person's profession, they're, they're, there's a lost cost. There is a cost here that government has yet to pay and yet to realise where that payment's coming from because the hidden cost of what we are seeing today will outweigh the death and destruction we've seen so far, far by the actual disease. The hidden cost of this disease will be more more deep and there'll be more consequences for the rest of the young generation, opportunities lost. The middle generation mental health, I don't know if my business will survive next week, is a stressful place to be. I don't know if I can pay my wages this week. Is it, a man will say to me, John, I can't, I can't, I have not got the resources to pay for the slow recovery period we, are, we anticipate. I will run out of cash, I will run out of my, my, my debts amount, I will throw the towel in. Now, I, I, I hear that now. Even after the success of summer, summer has survived people and they were looking for, a, a, you know, we were, we were thinking we were doing all right and footfall was increasing. This next round has killed that off. These people are now going to make two decisions. Keep what I've got, throw the towel in. I can't suffer under these, these current situations because the more, the longer it goes on, the more costs I, 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 I endure. Even whatever the landlord's doing to me, and I'm personally, I've been as, as helpful as I possibly can be within the, the bounds of running my own business. But for me, that's a lot, I've decided to help a lot of people. But my strategy was to Christmas because I thought that would be all right. And now I think, Christ, it's not. It's maybe it's till summer and, and what, you know, I'm running out of um, ability to help by that point. And that was the, the point I was going to come on to, really, because, uh, you know, I'm conscious of the fact that we've, we've had a bit of a whinge fest this afternoon, but I don't think that's surprising under the circumstances. I think we've had, you know, some hope and optimism, whatever there was there, um, sort of taken away from us, ripped away from us in recent times. Um, but we are still hearing some noises from government, I'll turn to you, Naomi, in terms of the Birmingham view, because Andy Street, who's the, the West Midlands mayor, um, has been, I think, as robust as, as Andy Byrne in Manchester, actually, in terms of defending uh, the city and the city's hospitality sector and saying that you've got to have the support packages in place. Um, but equally, you know, even as, as late as this morning, uh, I'm seeing headlines, government ministers saying we've got to do this to save Christmas. Is there any optimism within you that we will have some sort of normality come December? I mean, I always try and be positive, but um, if I was to be really re more realistic, we're definitely not going to have a Christmas anywhere near than we've ever had before in terms of business coming through the door. Um, obviously, with tier two, the rule is not have mixed households. I mean, I don't know about you, but a lot of people, when they're going out at Christmas time, isn't necessarily with their family. It's work dues, it's friends getting together, it's people that don't live together, basically. Um, I mean, 
thankfully with Eat Out to Help Out in August, we actually saw what we would see in Christmas uh, in December in August. Um, you know, which is amazing and grateful for that. But in terms of this Christmas and how it would be going forward, I don't think we'll have that normality at all. Um, just down to like, let's say the guidelines, it's getting colder now. You know, there's rumors of potential tier three for the West Midlands at some point floating around, but that's in the media. You know, you kind of find out all this hearsay in the media first before it's confirmed. Um, and that again in itself instills fear in customers because they are just kind of getting it from the media and it's hearsay and it's not actually what is in place yet. So yeah, I think as it gets colder, it gets darker um, and people get, get more scared. We, it won't be back to normal by Christmas. Sorry to say. Not the answer I was hoping for. Yeah, sorry. To put a slightly positive twist on it, I mean, you know, I've seen a lot of um, initiatives come from businesses, you know, introducing if they hadn't had bottomless brunch before or brunch before to kind of avoid that 10 p.m. curfew. I would say, I think, you know, hospitality has been absolutely ahead of the curve in everything that they've put in place. I mean, like other venues that I've spoke to, Aluna and Siamese had the, like, it was always table service from the start. It was always six people, you know, we updated cleaning processes, hand sanitizers, and everybody has done that prior to the government putting in a, a table of six and putting in table service. And I think if we continue to do what we're doing, um, have those processes in place, make sure the messaging is out there to consumers about what, what we are doing, um, find new ways to, you know, maybe have, I mean, we're not necessarily a family friendly venue. We're, you know, we're cocktail bars and, and kind of, you know, late night restaurants. So it isn't necessarily a place that you'd be coming with your children as such. Um, but, you know, we are considering looking at things like that and just making sure that we can avoid, you know, find ways to make business within these guidelines as much as possible. And Rich, just in terms of the, um, the sort of big events that, that you and Sasha organise, uh, have you got in your head a, a time scale as to when you think you'll be able to get back to those? Well, I mean, I, again, you know, we'd love to have some sort of magic answer. I think, you know, the positive news in the last 24, 48 hours is um, Glastonbury and their lawyer have announced that they will be going, they're planning to go ahead. I mean, that, you know, that's going to be, that's going to depend on, on either uh, a huge vaccine rollout, um, a complete shift in where we're at right now, uh, or, you know, some sort of miraculous um, fast testing system that, that can be deployed across 250,000 people entering a field coming from all over the world. I mean, that is not, that is not a small task. Um, and to roll that out across the entire festival business is, is another thing again. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we are looking at, I'm with Melvin and people with Live Nation and, and, and our own research, um, all sorts of different, all, so, all sorts of different testing ideas. And I mean, it's very, very complex. Obviously we're, we're well, we were meant to announce park life a few months ago. We're holding off till January just to work out, you know, what's going on. The shows are booked. They're ready to launch. When's a good time to launch? I mean, it's very, it's almost impossible to say. Sasha, same, same question to you, I suppose. But uh, again, I'm conscious of the fact that you're talking to lots of people in the industry. So what sense are you getting out there? Um, you know, Naomi's talking about tier two and, and John, I know you're in tier two as well. We're in tier three. There are no Christmas bookings. There are no Christmas bookings whatsoever. That's, that's done. And, you know, and all those bars, the government did something really good when they fast tracked the pavement licenses through. But, you know, we're in Manchester where it rains majority of the day. Um, the, the temperature dropping. People are not going to sit in pavements outdoors, even with a gazebo when it's minus five and raining. They're just not. So we've got that coming down the line. You know, we're talking about curfews and things at the moment, but let's remember places like theatres are shut, panto seasons gone, live, live music venues shut, 
nightclubs shut. There's no route map, there's no guidance, whatsoever. no light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we, we must remember those places. But I think you asked for a positive, Frank, and the positive I will tell you is this. You know, Part Life is ready to go. We're prepping for 80,000 tickets to be sold in June. Just what Richard told you, Glastonbury, they're ready to put people on site in March. Every single large festival that is on sale at the moment, household name festivals, they are seeing record ticket sales. Uh, and I'm not going to mention the festival because it'd be wrong for me, but they are seeing record ticket sales. And in fact, your favourite band, Frank, went on sale three weeks ago, Little Mix, and sold 148,000 tickets in 48 hours. So that's not bad going. That showed that the, the positive there is there is absolute appetite that when we can go out, you know, we've been stuck indoors since March, practically. When we can go out, there's going to be a huge bounce. And, you know, John, you, you, what you just said then, landlords, I sympathise so much with them because they are getting a kicking. And for, for you to hear you say, um, and we've never met before, John, but for you to hear you say you've helped operators is, is you know, a breath of fresh air because in Manchester, Greater Manchester, there have been landlords who literally... They've just, it's been no help whatsoever. They want 100% rent and that's it. And that's for a nightclub that's shut, that's had no income since March. So, you know, what you're doing is amazing and hats off. Um, well, you know, can, I, can I just make this point? I, I, I'm just against, I mean, the landlord. The landlord's view may be biased and may be, um, control, may be controlled by other outside factors. But this is my theory, this is my philosophy. And, 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 and the landlord, if, if landlords and tenants need to be different, in the way they regard and speak to each other from in the going forward, right? If you make a decision um, that the people who, I made a traffic light decision, right? These are red, these are orange, these are green. Uh, and they've all slipped, by the way, <laughs> from when I started it. They've all slipped, there aren't so many greens left anymore. But you come to a point of view and you say, look, if I, if I help this man, he'll still be there. If I, um, 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 uh, if I don't help this man, he will go, the place will be empty, the, the area will suffer, the, 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 the cost of putting that, a, a new business back in that premise will be high, the time scale will be lost, it'll be 18 months fit out, you'll be 18 months rent free. It's better to water the plants you've got than try to replant a whole bloody garden when you have 100%. a, when you have a, 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 we've got what they call a concentrated ownership, right? So the easiest way of saying it is, if I was heavy handed, I'd have a ghost town on my hands. Now, I know I can speak like that because I'm in a special place, i.e. central London. So other people have to speak differently. But I've always thought to myself, you know, I mean, we have nightclubs. Um, I have, I'm not asking any of them to pay me anything. They, I mean, we have the box, we have Zubar, we have, uh, there's three in Leicester Square. There's nobody in Leicester Square right now. Um, and my daughter's theatre, which is the boulevard, obviously shut. Um, I'm not asking anything from any of the operators who are not open. I'm asking for people who are open to pay next year, three years' time. I, look, I, I, I discuss each particular um, quarter with all of our different tenants because I want to keep this place alive. I want to keep the area alive, you know. Um, and it, it is specific and it is, you know, I've got, I've got a particular garden, if you care to think of it like that, and I want to keep it alive because i fear that we are now in a place where if the best will in the world the next this latest round of of of, um, of restrictions will make it impossible for them to, to 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 go from here to spring shall we say if you think about what's happening or not happening in london um leicester square for example we are quite a bit of stuff in leicester square the 52 million people used to walk per annum from Piccadilly to the Hippodrome. 52 million people, they are not there now. The man who sells tickets, he's not there, obviously. The man who sells tourist trinkets, he's not there, obviously. The wine bar, nobody goes. The restaurants in that square are all closed, right? Um, this is a sort of a concentrated area in which London would need to be revived, and the London then needs to be revived involves theatre, culture, arts, um, the, the things that make a city vital and make a city interesting. But if we don't support these little businesses, when they do eventually come out of this, and we will, and this will be a blimp, but the blimp, it's, it's a bit like being shot by the last bullet in the war, 
right? That's your war, you're dead, right? Now, it's all right the government saying revitalize, retrain, reorganize. That's not you and I, that's the next generation. That's, uh, that's probably years away before we get back to a, a place where we are today. So my, I, my philosophy was just trying to save what we've got and fight as hard as possible to do that. Uh, and to as much as my resources allow me to, by the way, because I'm not, I'm, I'm not, not bottomless. It's refreshing. John, are you from the north? Yeah, I come from Cumbria. See, it's, I wondered why... That's why. That's why. That's why someone speaking sense, yeah. There's a few out there. They're all northerners. We'll, 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 we'll now have a problem with everybody else on this slide, but yes. <laughs> yeah, so apologies for anybody from, from London uh, tuning in. Uh, we've got a couple of questions that I'll come to in a moment that uh, I'll put to you from the audience today. If anyone else wants to put a quick question into the chat room, please do so. Final question, I want to stick with this positivity that Sasha was bringing us to there in terms of the uh, all the evidence suggests that people are desperate to get out. People want to get back to what I would describe as normal as quickly as possible. Um, and I'm even sensed a big shift in the diet uh, from three or four months ago when people were talking about working from home as the new panacea to people being far more careful in terms of trying to sell that as being idyllic um, and I, I, that doesn't mean there won't be hybrid that doesn't mean people won't spend a bit more time at home and a bit less time commuting but i do think people have started to, to understand and appreciate that there's some real benefits from working in office environments out and about. Uh, we're all based and passionate about the cities that we're in. So, uh, Sasha, I'll kick off with you uh, for this one. Manchester, um, are we going to see a bounce back or is it going to be a crawl back? Um, I would love to say a bounce back. I'm actually in the office today. I get cabin fever. You know, since working from home since March, it's nice to get out. Mm. I think there are, there are pockets in Manchester that, in the city centre that are going to bounce back a lot quicker, like the Northern Quarter. There are areas like spinning fields where the major banks have their head offices. I don't think we're going to see a return, maybe 20% by January. Uh, I think that's going to be a lot slower, to be honest. Um, I think we might, might, just like we're seeing people staying local, we might see a shift where people start having offices more local to their environment rather than having to, you know, queue to get into Manchester for an hour on the motorway. And, and you know, it, it, I think that we're going to see a reset. I'm, I'm confident about that. John would know a lot better. Commercial is not my, my uh, forte, but that, that is my guess on it. Rich, Liverpool, what, what do you see the future of the city, which is wow. got a huge reliance on its industry economy, far more so than the other cities who are on this call. I think you have to look at that classic quote from Paul Denor's book, um, Liverpool Wondrous Place. You know, a gap in Liverpool's nightlife is a vacuum that can't be resisted. As soon as it's possible for people to come back and they'll be allowed out and for us to do gigs, whatever, I mean, the demand is going to be exponential. Um, you know, Liverpool's got all the attributes and all the attractions and all you know, all the you know, it's a huge ter uh, tourist destination, um, and it's I've got no doubt we can see the demand pent up. Um, it's just a matter of when we're allowed back. You know, I've got no 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 doubt about that whatsoever. Naomi Birmingham, bounce back or crawl back? No, we've got to bounce back, haven't we? Otherwise, what we're we doing? No, I think um, Birmingham is like very collaborative with their spaces, with the industries that work together, like the hospitality industry in Birmingham all work together. And I think that's a huge positive that we've seen um, coming out of this. And, you know, with the collaborative spaces, you, that filters into, you know, the different industries like um, law, banks, the financial sector, all of that. They rely on like that collaborative space and we've had uh, WeWork just open up too. We've got um, building work with 103 Colmore Road. So we've got these spaces that are amazing. Hospitalities within these spaces. There's spaces to work together as teams. And I don't think you can ever really finish a project without meeting up with your team members and working together on it. So, you know, I'm sure people will be back because you see the value in, in that collab.
And I think important for you, John, but important for the country, London. Um, I agree with everyone, and I, 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 I look forward to a bounce back. The, the thing we've got to understand here, there is, there is a pent up um, spending available, but it isn't, and it's not, it won't last forever. The, if you took, looked at the, 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 the so-called Nike tip, throughout summer we had furlough, brilliant scheme, kept a lot of people in, 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 in their, their homes and their families. But that's about the run out this week. And the next substitute for that is maybe good as long as you've got a job. Right? Uh, because everybody who was on furlough is now about to be made redundant. So this is, I don't wish to be doom and gloom, but there are ways the government needs to be listening to this. And they need to understand there is a pent-up uh, spending power and there is a, there's a wall of people who want to come back into the centre of the city because of the various offers and cultures and things that the city offers. But it will run out the longer it takes to restate it and reinstate this opportunity because you will become more unemployed. There will be more employment. There's people who are on furlough about to be made redundant and they, they're spending, if, the, the, if you like, if we talk in bubbles, this bubble is, this, it's gonna, the air's gonna run out of this bubble. So it's gonna be harder to, to a bit like my, 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 my feelings on keeping tenants, it's gonna be harder the longer it takes to bring this round, because the pent-up wall of spending that is there will dissipate in living. Normal ordinary living costs will eat that up. And perhaps unemployment, uh, and more, more unemployment, will obviously um, affect that. And this government, it seems to be, if, you, you know, if you're in any kind of, let's call it a war situation, you have losses, you have casualties, you have plans. This government has got, it seems to be navigating and it's fixed on one point for too long. One point, so we're all going north. That's it, we're all going north. And, and, and somebody needs to say, by the way, by the way, do you realize when we're all going north, the rest of the country's going south, right? <laughs> and you better do something about it because the economy of this country's on its knees. And there's, and, and, but they do seem to be too focused in any one given direction without looking at the, 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 the overall view. And we need to be telling them the overall view. And you know, Alan Miller, who you'll all know, um, the nighttime economy, he's printing out something tomorrow called Restore the Balance. And he's recruiting everybody and anybody who's got any kind of view, like we are now expressing, to say to government, you have to listen to us. You have to listen to this very wide church of people. Um, because it's dead easy to say hospitality, well, yes, you just want. It is not just hospitality. It, this, is, this is endemic everywhere in our, in our working population. Right? So we have got to say, look, you need to listen. You need to listen to more sensible um, solutions. You need also perhaps to listen that the two, the two, the 42,000 people who have been sadly lost their lives through this, but not largely with other underlying health problems, in a, in a country of 67 million is maybe a price you need to, you need to assess that price against economic ruin and poverty and distress that is coming the longer this thing takes. So you need sometimes, I think, to change direction, reassess what the costs and hidden costs are, and then come back and say, right, you know, I mean, simplistically, and politicians really don't do simplistically, you could say, everybody under 30, go out and do what you like, right? Because if you get this illness, you will have an illness, you'll have flu, you'll have, it's not, and I don't decry it because I'm not a denier, but there's, it affects different strata of people in different levels. So to lock everybody down is possibly too serious a, a, a solution. And to allow people out to do the first thing the government came out with was herd immunity. So you think, all right, now if that, if that, that would, that would, that, we need business to be restocked, right? We need freedom of movement. We need freedom of speech. We need freedom of ideas. We need, to, we, need to, we need to interact with our fellow man. We need to go out and laugh, right? We are not designed to be locked up in even the most luxurious surroundings, right? We need, people have need ideas, they need, they need passions, right? And this government, we need to tell it. We need to be saying, look, we've had enough of this. We've had enough of this. The consequences of, the, of, the, of, of not doing something are now outweighing doing something. John, you've... Uh... 
run us out of time, but in no, a very no, careful articulate way. The, the questions that we've had, I think we have been answered during the discussion, certainly in respect of the 10 p.m. curfew, which was provided by Clive Reed from uh, VWV Solicitors. And, and Clive's just just basically put a comment in there really to say, yeah, you know, professional services get into your cities and support them. And I think um, in this part of the world, Lisa Morton um, in Manchester came up with a great phrase, which is, you know, be there for your city if you want your city to be there for you when this is all over, which I, I think is, is not a, a bad line to come up with. And then the, that point there that Clive has asked about, is there anyone within government that's pro the nighttime economy? The industry needs someone to champion its cause within government. Uh, there isn't any specific individual. DCMS is a rag bag of various uh, things that it has to address, including the nighttime economy. I think that does need to be addressed. And I will right now, right here, nominate Sasha Law for that job when it does come about. So listen, guys, it's been great to speak to you. Thanks very much for joining us today. I know you're all busy and you've got some big challenges, but I hope uh, that you found the conversation today as interesting as I have. Thanks for being in the downtown, and I'll see you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hello.